So we are in Colossians, right? Colossians chapter 2 today. And before we start, uh, let me just say the Ladies Fall Bible Study, uh, the name of God is the name of the study. And see uh, Kim Reeves at the resource table after service to sign up for that. It's going to be starting in September. It's going to be a great study uh, together. So see her today to sign up. Life Group's sign-ups will be starting August 27th online and here in the lobby at both campuses that will be open and available. We're going to have three life groups uh, in this area this fall, uh, and so two in Carleton, one in McMinnville, and uh, we're excited about that. We want to provide more, uh, more ground. We want to cover more ground in more places and have more groups starting uh, to have the ability to have people join in and not have every group be like 35 people. You know what I mean? Like you can't really, you can't really have intimate conversation and discussions and, and uh, the real deal when you have 35 people and it's a little bit difficult. So, uh, so we try to keep them smaller and uh, more engaging. So that's an important thing as well. So be looking for those. All right, so here we are, Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Last week, what did we cover? Colossians chapter one, you guys are so smart. Okay. So it's a four-week series, um, and then in September uh, 10th, a new series will be starting. I'm not going to tell you what that is, because I want you to focus on Colossians with me right now. All right? Last week, we talked through chapter one, seeing uh, predominantly the, the supremacy of Jesus declared over all things, right? Specifically, Paul mentioned three things that we talked about um, that uh, were creation, that Christ was supreme over creation, that Christ is supreme over the church, and he is supreme over Paul's ministry is what he talks about. Uh, and so let me just say for a second here that no ministry is a tribute to the person's, uh, you know, gift or natural abilities um, nothing like that. Really, uh, Christ alone is supreme over any ministry that he calls people to. So we have to be careful about, uh, you know, watching somebody. We probably all have our favorite people that we watch online or whatever, uh, wherever we watch or listen, and we have a tendency to elevate them, put them on a little bit of a pedestal, right? Like, like their teaching is greater, better than anybody else and all that. Uh, but I want us to be careful uh, not to only look to that teacher uh, alone because Christ is the head of that teacher's ministry, okay? The ministry that that person has is because, uh, because God had called that person to the ministry and given them that ministry that they have. So we look not only to the person that is doing the teaching, Though it's great to follow specific people, but Christ is the head over every ministry, not just Paul's ministry of this day, but any ministry even today. Amen? All right. So we can appreciate the ministry that God gives to people. We can listen to them. We can gain from them. Uh, but our primary focus always has to be on the God who gave the ministry in the first place. He is our focus. So today we're looking at chapter 2. That's kind of a recap, a little bit of what we uh, looked at last week. Today, chapter 2, we look at the supremacy of Christ defended and things that Paul wanted the Colossian church to uh, beware of is what we're actually going to talk about a little bit today. 
uh, he, he exhorts them to beware of some certain things. And so uh, we can learn from these things as well today. The Bible is not only an old book, as one pastor that I listen to says, but it is an eternal book, right? It's timely today uh, because it's a timeless, timeless book because it's the Word of God, all right? So we're going to pray, and then we're going to read Colossians 2, uh, 1 through 10. Father, thank you for today. Would you lead us? Would you guide us? Would you uh, help us to uh, listen to your voice, God, as we are reading your word? And uh, we know you're going to speak to us today, that every time we open your word and we look at it, your Holy Spirit's going to speak to us and reveal truths to us afresh today. In Jesus' name, amen. Colossians 2, 1 through 10. All right, Colossians 2, 1 through 10. So here it goes. You got your Bible with you? Your paper Bible? Anybody? Paper Bibles? All right. All right, you can use your phone if you want to cheat. All right, okay, so here we go. Just kidding. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding in the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order uh, and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, uh, Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. So Paul states here that uh, he has a Great struggle for the believers of Colossae and Laodicea. Remember, there were three towns there. Colossae, Laodicea, and Hierapolis were the three inland towns from Ephesus. Uh, so he, Paul says, I have a struggle for, uh, for the believers here and in Laodicea. And he mentions those because Laodicea in the day was a pretty prominent town. It kind of took the prominence from Colossae uh, in those days. And so he mentions both of those towns. It's an interesting word here, the word struggle. Uh, It's a picture of like a sports contest. Uh, And and so if you read that, it's the Greek word agon, uh, which is where we get our word agonize from, okay? So Paul gives his efforts. He agonizes for the sake of the believers in Colossae and Laodicea. Uh, in those churches. And his struggle is real for the people of these churches. He loves them. He cares about them. Though he's never been to Colossae, he has heard of their faithfulness and the way that they are faithfully walking in the gospel message that they had heard from who? Who brought the message to Colossae? Anybody remember from last week? Epaphras, right? Epaphras is the one who brought the message there and shared it, and it started to grow, and God was doing work there. And so Paul says, I struggle for you. But what does he struggle for, right? 
he, he, he says, I'm struggling for you and, in Colossae, Laodicea, but he says, you know, the question we might ask is, why does Paul struggle for them? And thank God he tells us, okay? He tells us right here, and he says, first, that they may be encouraged, right? I, my struggle for you is that you may be encouraged. I agonize for you uh, be, so that you may be encouraged is the first thing. Now, the word here, uh, the Greek word for this is parakaleo, and it's a verb meaning to exhort, admonish, strengthen, or comfort. So this is what he struggles for, that he would uh, exhort them, that he would admonish them, that they would be strengthened up and be comforted by the words that he writes to them and by his life in general, right? Because we know that he writes this while he was what? In prison, right? Uh, so that's what he does. He wants them to be encouraged. His life was lived for the sake of others growing and them being knit together is the words that he used here in full assurance and full understanding of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. This is what he is saying. I struggle and agonize for this for you, right? Uh, and, and so we have to understand this though. We can gain knowledge of something and, and know about that something in our heads, but not also have a full understanding of it altogether, right? There's a lot of things I know something about, but I've never really experienced it, and I don't have a full understanding of it uh, altogether. And so uh, we won't have that full understanding of it or a full assurance of it until we experience it right? Until there is a, an experience of that thing. And, and I was just got to thinking about this uh, as I was putting this together, and it just made me uh, think about this. Uh, and I know we have some engineers in here. Are you an engineer in here, somebody? Right? We got, we got a few engineers in here. Let me tell you this. What came to my mind is an, an engineer has great understanding and puts the designs together for a bridge. And that bridge gets built, amen? Uh, yet the full assurance of that bridge uh, only comes when what happens? When somebody drives across it and tests it, right? <laughs> like, okay, somebody got to go first, right? And so, uh, and so when, when you actually test that bridge, you experience it, you drive across it, you have the full assurance that that bridge is built and it's steady and it's sure. And so uh, in many ways, not perfectly, of course, as no picture really is, uh, but in many ways, Paul is saying something similar here. May you have a full understanding and assurance of Christ Jesus by experiencing being knit together in love. How many of us know that one of the most important things we can do as a church is be knit together in love? Now, many of you have come and stayed at FLC because you've experienced that with each other in smaller groups or smaller settings or here on a Sunday morning. You have sensed you have a relationship with somebody, not just because you guys have the same likes, but because you've been knit together in the love of Jesus Christ, and you've experienced that, and you're like, this is my family, right? This is my family now. So uh, in, you know, in many ways, that's kind of what he's talking about here. Now, the false teachers of the day uh, in, in those days were dividing the church by their message. They were dividing things. Their false teaching had permeated there, was dividing people. And uh, so Paul is writing to them here. And he wants them to be richly united in the love of Christ so that they may understand and have assurance in Christ Jesus together. And that's a beautiful thing. That's what the church is. 
And Paul was saying here that true riches, uh, wisdom, and knowledge found in Christ, right? His, the true riches he's talking about here is the wisdom and knowledge that are found in Jesus Christ, a treasure to the believers, a firm foundation for the saints of the Lord, right? A firm foundation. Christ is the firm foundation, uh, not some secret knowledge or, or secret thing that you have to learn like the Gnosticism of the day, but in fact that Jesus Christ, in him is found all the fullness, right? Everything that we could need and a firm foundation for the saints of the Lord. It made me think about that hymn. How firm a foundation. Anybody ever, ever watch uh, or listen to um, J. Vernon McGee? <laughs> Anybody? And here, come on. Anybody? All right. So I used to listen to him uh, all the time because my aunt would listen to him on the drive home, and I was forced to listen to uh, J. Vernon McGee. But let me just tell you, that song started every episode. Oh, for, anyway. So there you go. Firm foundation. But that stands out in my mind. And let me just tell you, now I know, right? I go back to that and think, Jesus Christ is the firm foundation, right? He's found in the Word of God, and He is the firm foundation that we build upon. I hope you're with me on that. That's worth an amen. Okay, so Paul tells them to beware of plausible arguments and empty philosophies, okay? Plausible arguments, empty philosophies. The threat was coming from within the church. These false teachers had worked their way into the church, and it wasn't some external force that was coming against them. How many of us know that it's oftentimes much more dangerous when the, uh, when the opposition or, you know, the threat is coming from within, right, instead of coming against you. And so, uh, and so that's what was happening here. And so it, was, uh, it wasn't easy uh, to spot for some people. It was within. Now, um, this does happen frequently. It happens often. Persuasive words Arguments brought on uh, by those claiming to be part of the church. Uh, we talked a little bit about this last week, the visible church, the invisible church. There are people in the church visibly and physically that aren't saved, and there are people who are not in the church necessarily attending weekly and all the services and all that stuff that are indeed truly saved. Uh, uh, but those you know, who can come in and have persuasive words and arguments and try to pull people away, uh, and that's indeed what was happening here People were, there was a false message being taught and people were being pulled away. How many of us know that man's philosophies can be attractive sometimes, right? Man's philosophies can be attractive, promising some hidden doctrines to understand and treasures to be found if you would only do this or if you only do that, you know? How many of you have ever watched TBN? Don't watch TBN, but how many of you have ever watched TBN, you know? Like, if you just do this, you know, sow a seed of $6 million into this, or whatever it is, you know? If you just do it this way, then it will unlock the key to this or that or whatever, and you hear those things happen frequently uh, and that are said. Here's what Paul says to that, no. Okay, Paul writes them, says, no, don't fall for these man-made philosophies that are attractive, promising something, uh, some gain of some sort of some hidden uh, knowledge and understanding of some sort if you just do this. He writes no to that, that we have all the treasures we need hidden where? In Christ Jesus, right? He always comes back to Christ Jesus being supreme over every last thing, that he is enough. 
So he says no to that. And so understand this, no matter how intelligent or attractive or charismatic or charming somebody might seem, uh, you know, and they are out there uh, and, and that's how they pull people in oftentimes because of their persuasive words or, you know, their uh, good looks or whatever, you know, like people just follow them. And, uh, and so be careful about those things, no matter how attractive, charismatic, charming they might seem or the enticing words that they bring. If the message is new and you've got to do this, this, and this in order to find the keys to something, uh, beware of it and reject it, okay? Because, uh, well, just beware of it and reject it, all right? And then what, what do we do? If we see something like that and we reject it because Christ is all we need, Paul tells us what to do, just as he tells the Colossians here, uh, how to avoid these empty philosophies and these things, these, uh, these empty teachings, okay? He says in verse 6 here, he instructs them in three, specifically, uh, three things. Number one, to walk in Christ. Verse 6, he says, how do we avoid these empty and philosophies and these false uh, teachers, well, we walk in Christ. We continue on in Christ. The message that they heard and accepted, uh, they now walk in that message of Christ, him crucified, him raised from the dead, and exalted to the right hand of God. He defeated death, and those who are in Christ can also defeat, uh, death is defeated for them as well. Uh, John Calvin, in his commentary on Colossians, he says it like this, Paul compares the pure doctrine of the gospel as they had learned it to a way that is sure so that if anyone will but keep it, he will be beyond all danger of mistake, right? You walk in that. Have you ever, uh, I've been around uh, some places before um, where it was, you know, it was believed, it wasn't necessarily said like this, but it was more believed that that Christ and, and uh, you know, Christ, his, his uh, life and death and burial and resurrection, that, that, you know, we move beyond that somehow to go find more that's beyond it. We got to go deeper. And that was kind of the, the language of the places that I've been that I'm thinking is we got to go deeper, 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 you know. And it's always talking about going deeper, 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 deeper. And yet Paul is here saying, Christ is all we need. Everything that we need, all the wisdom and knowledge and everything that we need is found in Christ Jesus, right? And so we never outgrow the need to lean on Christ and walk in Christ. And so we have to be careful about people who say, you got to go deeper, 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 deeper into these things. And we go beyond that message into more, more, more. Um, so let's be cautious about that. It's by the Spirit that they had received this message and the change ultimately in their life. And it is by the Spirit that they would continue walking in Christ. The Christian life continues as it began, by faith in Christ and also by the power of the Holy Spirit's leading every day of our lives, all right? Then in verse 7, he says, not only to walk in Christ, verse 6, but verse 7, grow up in Christ. Uh, so he says, grow up in Christ. Be rooted in him is what he says here, right? He says, be rooted in Christ. Now, this is an interesting word, rooted. It's a verb used with the sense of being once for all time. This is a once for all. When we're rooted in Christ, it's a once for all time. So once we are united and rooted in Christ, we are secure, right? 
we as believers can have security in Christ. Uh, the Christian must have roots that are dug down deep and far into the richness of Jesus Christ, who is the foundation and the nourishment for our lives and for our living, right? And then, how do we learn about Jesus? The Word of God, right? All of the Word of God points to Jesus Christ. All of it, right? So when you're reading the Scripture, just because you might be in the Old Testament, uh, it points, there's so much in the Old Testament that points to Jesus Christ. So don't ever let anybody say, we don't need anything about the Old Testament anymore, because it's good to read the Old Testament and see how it points to Christ. So all Scripture is pointing to Jesus, and without Scripture, we can't really know what to do about Jesus Christ, right? Some people say, you don't need that. Uh, you, you're fine without it. Let's just root ourselves in the uh, resurrection of Jesus, which, of course, I agree with. But we have to be careful not to throw the Bible away and just say that because the Bible teaches us all we need to know about Jesus Christ and the truth of who he is and who he is for us. Amen? All right. Thank you, one person. Okay. All right, so uh, knowing God's word and walking in Christ ensure that we're grounded in a firm foundation, not only being rooted, though, Paul says here, but being built up, right? Being rooted and being built up. Now, this is another interesting verb used with the sense of it being an ongoing thing. Rooted in Christ is once for all time. Ongoing, being built up is ongoing, right? That's a daily thing that we are being built up. It's interesting. Paul sometimes is funny because he'll use multiple metaphors, you know, or whatever, like back to back. And you're like, wait, we were talking about rooted. Now we're talking about, you know, building a house or something, being built up. But, uh, but he puts these together. And so this is, means being built up in Christ. We are continually built up day by day by day. It's an ongoing, continual thing. A constant state of being built up in Christ, a daily way for, believe, for the believer or follower of Jesus. Now, how are we built up in Christ? I mean, really, how are we built up? Through reading God's Word, studying His Word, through prayer, right? Through uh, spending time in prayer and communing with uh, God. And so we're being built up by, uh, by being obedient to Him. We take a step. We do the right thing, right? God is just maturing us. He is uh, sanctifying us. He's He's building us up each and every day of our lives, right? So that's an ongoing thing. And then in verse 7, we also see that Christ must be the test. Christ must be the test. Many philosophies out there give plenty of thoughts, yet Christ is nowhere to be found in it. And so if you can't find him as the foundation of somebody's thoughts, uh, then you should reject that. Alarm should go off and you should say, no, I don't, I don't need that. I don't want that. I'm not going to walk in that or uh, listen to it. And it may sound plausible, right? It may sound plausible in ways. But, uh, but many religions today, they might acknowledge Jesus, but let me just tell you, he's not given the place of supremacy. And Paul is simply saying the same thing here to the Colossians, right? There are, uh, there's a, uh, you know, synchronicity of, of thoughts and all these things coming together. But if, if Christ doesn't give supremacy over all things, then you should reject whatever is being told to you. So Christ is supreme. And any philosophy based on elemental spirits and human traditions of this world 
and not Christ has to be rejected. In other words, don't get sucked into the basic principles of this life and our culture and what they're trying to tell us and teach us and, and cause us to follow and believe. Uh, don't get sucked into those things as the world might, but test everything as to whether it acknowledges and gives Christ supremacy as the fullness of God. Right? We talked about this last week. Jesus wasn't created the day that he was born, right? Like, oh, here he is, you know. He, he existed forever, right? He's existed for all time. And this is a, a, a throughout Christian history has been a, a kind of a, you know, it's been a conversation and a discussion that people have had. And uh, I was reading this week about this verse specifically is kind of the springboard for different creeds and different things that have been written and, and uh, throughout our, the history of the church and written down and believed and walked in. And I won't bore you with it. I have it here, but it's called the Chalcedonian Creed, okay? Now, I'm a nerd for this type of stuff. Here's the deal. I got a new Bible. It's an ESV study Bible. It's called the uh, Church History Study Bible. So it has all kinds of quotes from you know, church fathers and stuff. I'm kind of, I geek out on it, to be honest with you. But, so I have it here, and if you want that, I can send it to you. But it's called the Chalcedonian Creed from A.D. 451, uh, which is really kind of, well, who is Jesus Christ, right? Different uh, groups got together, and they had to discuss these things and come to a conclusion of what does Scripture actually say about Jesus Christ? And this Chalcedonian Creed comes to the conclusion it is all about fully God, fully man, nothing is left behind. He, wasn't, he didn't ditch his deity to become only human, and he, didn't, he wasn't not human because he was fully deity. He was both fully 100%. And this scripture is one specifically that has been discussed for many, 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 many years uh, throughout church history. But it's an important one. Uh, it's an important one because if either of those is taken away, that changes Jesus completely. And you have to be careful about that, all right? So as my ESV study Bible puts it, uh, not the church history one, but my other one, okay? It states this, the divine fullness is in Christ and believers are filled in him. Hence, they have everything they need in Christ, all right? That is awesome. So a place to live from, uh, not to try to work our way to, right? We always come back to that. In Christianity, we live from our position in Christ. We don't work our way to God. Every other religion says we've got to work our way to God. Enough good works plus this, plus this. If I just do this and I'm doing this too, I can get there. But in Christianity, we know that God came for us, and it's a free gift that we receive, and ultimately, we work from that place. Once we are in Christ, we work from that place. We don't work to him. Amen? You with me? All right. We got to move along here. All right. Read Colossians, Colossians 2, 11 through 17. Uh, 2, 11 through 17. In him, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. If you need to know what that is, you can go read about that on your own, okay? But uh, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ... Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, 
having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or what to regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So Paul says here, he warns them here again. He, he wants them to beware of religious legalism, okay? Beware of religious legalism. False teachers, they were, uh, again, syncretism. They're grabbing all kinds of stuff, bringing them together. Some mystic, Eastern mystic thoughts mixed with some Greek philosophies, uh, you know, some Jewish laws. If you take all that and mix it up, voila, you have your own way of thinking. And so they were, uh, they were working it out on the other people by keeping them to certain laws uh, in a legalistic way. And Paul says, no, 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 no. That's not, you don't need to do that, right? Religious legalism is found in rituals here. He talks about these rituals, diets, holidays, ceremonies uh, of different kinds, which all still live out today. If you, know, if you keep your eyes open, you can see how some people want to keep you to these things, right? Uh, and so we have to reject that too. Uh, we don't necessarily keep certain, re you know, religious uh, rules or laws or, or uh, you know, some drinks are bad. This is, you know, we have to be careful not to put legalistic rules on people or have them put them on us either. Circumcision was a Jewish ritual under the Old Testament. And though the Gentile believers had not physically been circumcised, they were in fact, Paul says, circumcised in a spiritual sense which is even greater, right? It's even greater than physical circumcision because they had put off their sins of the flesh and they had discarded them and not just part of the physical body, but the flesh, you know, not just the flesh of their bodies, but the spiritual sin and they had, uh, they had cut that away and been spiritually circumcised, right? Spiritual circumcision meant the putting off of the old self. Uh, Curtis Vaughn, the Bible commentator, says the Greek word for putting off is a double compound. It denotes both stripping off and casting away. So the imagery is that of discarding or, be, or being divested of a piece of filthy clothing, right? And so here they were, Paul says, you have been spiritually circumcised as Gentiles. You don't have to follow the rules that they're trying to put you through, which is good news, right? So... Paul also indicates here that the picture in baptism is this, that the believer shares in the death uh, of Jesus, leaves the old self buried, and is raised to new life in Christ. And that's still the picture of baptism today for anybody, uh, all of us who you know, are baptized now. It's the, it's the burying of the old self and, and death to the old self and sin, and we are being raised into new life in Jesus Christ. And so I would say this, if you haven't been baptized, we are going to be looking forward to having a baptism service in November, November 5th, actually. Uh, hopefully it's really cold outside, and so it'll be, whoever gets baptized will really have to want it. Uh, but no, I don't know. We'll, we, might, we may do it inside here. I don't know. We'll see. 
But, uh, but I think that if that's the next step for you, be thinking about it, be looking forward to it, uh, because we are instructed to do so, okay? If we're in Christ, we're instructed to be baptized as well. And Paul is just reminding them here, that's what baptism is. Colossians, you've been baptized with him, right? His death uh, and burial and then resurrection and new life in him. And that they have been made complete in him, he says. Verses 18 through 23, and then we'll be uh, done with the reading here. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up, uh, about, puffed up with, without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings? These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but... They are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Paul wants them to beware here again. He's warning them to beware of man-made disciplines, right? Paul begins the, the list uh, and he lines these things out that the false teachers have tried to hold them to and the false teachers have tried to disqualify them because of these things. And he's saying, no, 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 no. You don't have to worry about that, right? Right? Uh, so again, those things that were put together, this mysticism, part of this false teaching, he addresses it here uh, with, you know, the, the visions and those types of things. Asceticism, a severe self-discipline that avoided anything showing indulgence of the flesh uh, or the appearance of that, right? A false humility is what that presents, which also is probably why he addresses here the worship of angels, right? Like, uh, so he brings that up too. And, and I was like, okay, let me find out a little bit more about that. So again, the commentator, Curtis Vaughn, he says, the heretics probably insisted that their worship of angels, rather than worshiping the supreme God, was an expression of humility on their part, which is an interesting thought, right? I'll show I'm really humble by not worshiping the supreme God, but by worshiping the angels, right? And so he, he, it's an interesting thought that that may have been part of what they were doing and leading others into doing as well. But it's a misguided expression of humility uh, as angels are not to be worshipped by Christians. Uh, that is merely a form of man trying to reason out fleshly idea that looks spiritual but indeed is not grounded in anything that we need. So he mentions here, going into detail about visions gained from pagan rituals and stuff like that, the, the idea behind Gnosticism was a special knowledge, remember, right? A special knowledge gained from special visions, secret things learned uh, that, you know, so there were no limits as to, what they, uh, as to what they would do to gain that secret knowledge, right? Even practicing many different pagan rituals and teachings. Do you, do you see that today? I mean, just a question. Do you see that today? People embracing all different kinds of, of thoughts and 
uh, and bringing those in and acknowledge, oh, you're, that's great. That's great for you. Like, you still see that everywhere. And the more things change, the more they stay the same. Amen? It just goes on and on, just new people doing the same things, right? New people embracing the same things. It's new people doing, uh, using old ideas, causing people to try to stumble and taking them actually further away from the true gospel and from Christ Jesus. So be careful who and what you listen to uh, and what, where they're coming from. What is the foundation? Where are they starting from? We should always know that about who we listen to and, uh, and what they're presenting to us, right? And so, uh, and so Paul speaks to the heart uh, of this, and he declares that these people are not holding fast to the head, which is who? Christ Jesus, right? To, from whom the whole body grows and gains its nourishment. If we disconnect from the message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, from the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me just tell you, if we disconnect from those things, we will not grow, all right, as people or as a congregation uh, as a whole, overall. Anything other than Christ that takes the place as the main focal point of the church is doomed to fail. It just is, right? So even if it has the appearance of wisdom, Paul states it's really only promoting a self-made religion that has no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh. So, Christ is all we need. The flesh can't control the flesh. You ever notice that? You ever try to stop doing something by the flesh? Yeah, I'm just going to... I can't eat that cake, so I'll put it over in the corner, you know, just to use a simple analogy. But, you know, the flesh can't control the flesh... The flesh can't better itself, right? Uh, so, you know, and the flesh can't perfect itself. And so we should never try to grow by, simply by the flesh, right? Only what was begun in the Spirit can be sustained and finished by the Spirit. It's through spiritual means that we grow, and it's the spiritual means of being plugged in, rooted, and built up in Christ, so beware of anything that makes you the final authority uh, of your life or forces you to follow someone's own personal rules, but rather stand firm in what keeps Christ, the head of the body, supreme in every way. Every week is about Christ being supreme over all these things, the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for today. Thank you that, uh, that we can come here, that we can look to you, that we can look to your word, that we can worship you in every, uh, in every way, Lord, through singing songs uh, and through looking to you uh, in that way, through studying your word and knowing that Christ is supreme. We are so grateful. We want to be rooted in that, Lord, rooted in Christ Jesus, growing in him, and, uh, and we thank you that in our relationships with each other, God, uh, we worship you by how we treat each other and how we are with one another and care for each other and the love that we show each other, Lord. In every way, may this be a place that is rooted and growing in Jesus Christ, and we are so grateful for that, Lord. Lead us, guide us this week, Lord, in whatever circumstances that we find ourselves in that you place us in, God. May we uh, look to you in every way, and, uh, and so we are grateful to you. 
and um, just keep us growing and focused on you. And so, God, thank you for this day. Thank you for each person in this room. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey, everyone. It's Pastor Clint. I want to thank you for joining us today for this podcast, and I hope it was beneficial for you. Our vision at Family Life Church is simple, to create a safe and authentic environment for people to encounter Jesus. If you have any questions or would like to connect with us, please don't hesitate to send us an email at admin at myflc.org or connect with us via social media on Facebook or Instagram at Family Life Church Newburn. We'd enjoy hearing from you. Again, thank you for listening today and God bless you as you pursue Him.